Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Well, ladies and gentlemen, live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen, a real live radio star. I am the legendary Burl Bear. That guy there is Mark Boyer, fact checker, co-host. Today, <coughs> today, I'm going, going to, to reveal different. Yes, I'm going to reveal a long kept secret. We're going to grill the imaginary Burl Bear. Yeah, like a swordfish. <coughs> so, where were you last Tuesday night? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember where I was today. I have been holding on to this story for years. What a hell of a story. I think we were threatened with something last time I was going to reveal this one, but I, I don't remember the threats or the hell of it. Uh, listen, my children, and you shall hear of what the, uh, or at least a couple of the biggest scams ever perpetrated anywhere in the universe. One of them for over $500 million. And they almost got away with it. I think this is the one we were threatened not to tell anybody about. <laughs> oh, well. I don't remember who threatened this, so I'll tell the story this week. I'm waiting for the music to kind of, you know... Uh... Really no reason to wait for the music. Uh, there's no reason. I just want to make sure they can hear me, all right? Well, Mark, ready for the story? I am. Ari Enzo, worth more than $1 million, easily quested the Pacific Coast Highway Hill at a smooth 162 miles per hour. It then went airborne and descended directly into a telephone pole. Pole never had a chance. It took out the pole... Part of the car went another 600 feet, said Sheriff Sergeant Philip Brooks. And there were 1,200 feet of debris out there. And you say, what about the driver, right? Mm-hmm. The driver, miraculously alive, leaps from the wreckage and runs into a nearby canyon. How convenient. Well, you saw, he was on Mall. Pacific Coast Highway Hill. <coughs> After Sheriff's Department helicopter, search and team, the intoxicated driver. Sure. Sheriff's investigators identified him as 44-year-old Stefan Erickson, internationally known big money con man of vast wealth, violent reputation, and an impressive litany of past criminal charges. In his native country, Swedish police call him Fat Steve. The local mob nicknamed him the Banker. In the early 1990s, Erickson owned a 40-foot speedboat called Snow White, and the custom license plate on his Mercedes read cocaine speed, charged with fraud and counterfeiting to prestigious charges. Mm-hmm. Erickson served five of his 10-year sentence. Court documents show a more violent side to Erickson's personality. A partner and he allegedly broke into a man's home, smashed his apartment, punched him repeatedly in the face. Erickson, the document asserts, held a man's throat 
threatened to cut off his fingers and then forced a gun into the man's mouth. Now, as you could well imagine, uh, Swedish police had a hard time finding a witness to validate the man's story, especially one that wasn't afraid. In the same time frame, that Steven Erickson paid a business visit to a guy named Carl Freer, who may be listening to the show even today. I believe he lives here now. Anyway, Carl Freer, uh, official records claim, failed to deliver some cars that were ordered from Germany. The vehicles, make go see this guy. The two men, of course, became fast friends. Freer, the often suspect but never convicted, teamed up with the impressive and charismatic and occasionally violent Erickson. Together, they left the world of violence behind them and upgraded themselves to sophisticated white-collar crime. Out of prison, Erickson moved to Great Britain, starting a company, get this, that intended to rival Nintendo and Sony for the handheld video game market. Through an electronic company, under the NASDAQ exchange and raised millions. Carl Freer and he ran the UK-based game company that promoted the forthcoming product. Perhaps you remember this. Gizmondo, a portable gaming with GP Tiger Telematics, a firm also controlled by Ericsson, manufactured it. Quote, I'm a big game fan and I felt I was missing a decent console that could play Quality bracket games, Freer told CNN. We think the market's big enough. There is such a consumer demand today, especially in the handheld market, that there's room for another player, albeit a small one, but there is room for one more choice. We feel that it encompasses all the functionalities that our demographics use during the day. Well, Gizmondo managed to pack a lot of action to his head. That's the sound of a can. <laughs> Lovely. They make good musical instruments. Anyway, Gizmondo engaged in a baffling blizzard of transactions that cost the company millions of dollars. Then... <laughs> it's your sound effects. Are you better than the ones that have started the business? They are. Lovely. Anyway, they had a blizzard of transactions that cost the company millions of dollars. Then, <laughs> placed Freer and Erickson as members of this crap. Well, the folding of Gizmondo didn't damage Erickson and Freer in the least... Here's how they worked the Gizmondo scam. Carl Freer and several others bought a company based in Jacksonville, Florida, called Floor Incorporated. That's renamed it Tiger Telematics and used the company's stock to raise capital and finance Gizmondo, a London-based subsidiary that was developing a handheld computer gaming device. Erickson and his partners were senior executives, of course, in both companies. According to Tiger's Public Securities and Exchange Commission filings, which were reviewed by the uh, newspaper the Chronicle, Times the Chronicle, you've heard it, Gizmondo paid Freer, Erickson, and other top executives millions, yes, millions of dollars in salaries, and provided them with expensive cars. Freer's wife and the girlfriend of another senior executive were put on the payroll with large salaries and no clearly articulated duties. When Freer ran up a $164,000 personal legal bill, the company paid it. Gizmondo also covered a $7.6 million owed by Freer and Erickson, according to Tiger's filings. Erickson and his colleagues earned even more by having Gizmondo acquire a software in which they held financial interest. Okay. 
Gizmondo was operated like a 2005, soared to 90 million in salary. From uh, four, <clears throat> how do I get that job? Went to 90 million from 4.4. Legal accounting and consulting costs came to more than 113 million compared with 11.8 million the previous year. He used money Tiger borrowed on the messages. He paid salaries and other costs simply by issuing new stock shares. Then, ta-da! Then came the long-awaited introduction of the Gizmondo handheld developing with two industry powerhouses, Nintendo and Sony. It was a, how to put this delicately, a spectacular flame-out. Used games for the Berkeley-based website GameRevolution.com said the kidney-shaped Gizmondo, which was supposed to retail for $400, had a plethora of theming useless features. And that's it. You just showed me a picture of it. Pull up a picture of it on your phone, too. It had a built-in camera and a GPS device. But no games. <laughs> no games available. Well, maybe one or two. Gizmondo reported sales of less than $3 million in uh, 2004, 2005, it suffered cumulative losses of more than $382.5 million, according to Tiger's records. But it's hard to determine how accurate that is because from Goldstein, Golub Kessler has refused to certify the results. As Erickson, uh, Erickson and the other executives did with other companies they controlled. Now, Michael Carinder, chief executive of Tiger Telematics in Jack, he handed over some of the company's few remaining assets in a foreclosure proceeding. He's still hoping to find a company that might want to license the Gizmondo technology. The Tiger stock price had plummeted from more than $30 to less than 10 cents. Now, launched in 2005, the Gizmondo, as you could well imagine by now, sold rather poorly. Was forced into anyone with the slightest ability to speculate the future of a company that threw itself against both Sony and Nintendo Simon. Yes, nobody wanted a half-baked gaming machine with crappy games. It was designed to help parents track down their kids by GPS. Amusingly, he goes on, we had drinks with a man at CES, that's the Consumer Electronics Show, who told us that he had shorted Gizmondo's stock after our initial making upwards of $800,000 as the company crashed and burned. It just goes to show that even something as poorly conceived as a Gizmondo can still bring happiness when it dies. And his partner did better than that. They supposedly siphoned off an estimated $200 million, leaving, bringing his dubiously acquired wealth to the USA. He signed an entrance declaration stating he was not a convicted felon, which he was. Erickson promptly purchased a 15,010 square foot home in the guarded community of Bel Air Estates at 2323 Worthing Lane for almost $6 million. Carl Freer also purchased a large home at 1744 Stone Canyon Road in Bel Air and a $14 million yacht moored in Marina del Rey. Next, Erickson hired three bodyguards, a retired Army Reserve Sheriff, a United States Secret Service special agent, paying each of them a thousand a day. Four months before the auto accident that I told you about at the very beginning, Erickson has his attorney, Ashley Posner, form a limited liability company called Speeding bullet. The first order of business, allegedly smuggle into America, two Enzo Ferraris, one Mercedes SLR, and one Rolls Royce with a total value exceeding $5 million. 
cars, it seems, didn't belong to him. <laughs> Bank of Scotland claims rightful ownership of the high-flying Ferrari Enzo, having technically repossessed the vehicle because of fraudulent financing in the first place. When the Bank of Scotland tried to get the car, Ericsson shipped it to the USA. Quote, the car still had a European registration, said Brown, nothing been done in an attempt to give it a California registration, and he fully knew he couldn't drive those cars on the street without that. Now, Ericsson's cars made the news again March 29, 2006, when his wife, Nicole Persson, was at the wheel of a 2005 Mercedes-Benz SLR McLaren. She was pulled over by Beverly Hills police, who found the car was unregistered, carrying British license plates, and it had been illegally exported from Britain along with the crashed red Enzo. All three cars were leased in Britain, lease payments ceased, and after the export, the Mercedes was reported stolen. The illegal vehicle's failure to meet American emission standards also precluded any street use, allegedly. But when imported, Harrison claimed he only bought the autos to America for display purposes at car shows. Obviously, he wasn't being completely forthcoming. Perhaps he had more in his mind. After all, he was about to pull off the greatest con in American history. Despite the size, scope, and payoff of the Gizmondo scam, it pales beside the cash reward and ego boost of the con in progress when Erickson lost control of that Ferrari. Had that car not crashed and the con came to fruition, it would have been the largest fleecing in history. Brace yourself, but like Jerry's kids on Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. He was only a few weeks away from receiving a tax-free grant of $500 million from a generous and gullible victim. Ladies and gentlemen, until this very moment, the scam and the victim have not been revealed to the press nor the public. Ready? The grant was coming from someone really gullible. Hang on a second. Hang on. Drum roll. The United States Department of Homeland Security. Yes, the United States of America. Department of Homeland Security was poised to hand $500 million over to this guy. And what was he promising? Well, you'll find out right now. The clues to this astonishing and elaborate scheme were in the hands of investigators ever since the day the car crashed. But they didn't put the pieces together. To understand how the con was worked, you need to meet Ashley Posner, friend and attorney to Erickson and Freer. (coughs) Yourself. Also important is Roger Davis, then Orange County Deputy Sheriff. According to a confidential informant, someone in the White House allegedly contacted the Orange County Sheriff and asked as a favor to make Davis a reserve deputy. Quote, when police searched Erickson's home following his arrest, they found Davis's three fifty seven Magnum. <laughs> I know, it is rather stunning. The most amazing discovery, however, was the first tangible piece of evidence leading to the unraveling of the giant scam perpetrated on the Department of Homeland Security. The walkie-talkie found on Erickson the night of the crash. 
At first, it seemed peculiar that Mr. Erickson would have a walkie-talkie anyway. Second of all, the walkie-talkie belonged to the San Gabriel Valley Transit Authority Police Department. Think about that for a moment. The San Gabriel Valley Transit Authority. (laughs) You all right? Police Department. A police department that for all practical purposes existed only on paper and on an elaborate, really elaborate, grandiose website. The San Gabriel Valley Transit Authority is a good, honest, free public service. It's a privately owned company providing transportation to the elderly and disabled. Suddenly, thanks to the donations of Stephen Erickson and Carl Freer via Ashley Posner, the Transit Authority had its own police department. Not only that, wait, there's more. There's more? Erickson <coughs> Freer do- donated $30,000 to the San Gabriel Valley Transit Authority Police Department through their attorney, Ashley Posner, when they applied for a $500 million grant to the Department of Homeland Security. Listen to this. Erickson and Freer convinced the Department of Homeland Security that they were perfecting a device used with GPS that could identify a person by voice recognition and facial scan anywhere in the world at any time. To add credibility to their claim and to raise more money, they needed to show that a police department was using their services. Posner was the owner of a little private bus company with the official sounding name, San Gabriel Valley Transit Authority. That's all it was. What vehicle was like, you know, for old folks need a ride to the store? Uh, yes, it was in L.A. at City Ride. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what it was. Soon, the San Gabriel Valley Transit Police Department, which consisted of Erickson, Freer, Posner, K. Dean Richards, and Yusuf Mwandi, had a contract with Erickson and Freer to develop this new technology using face recognition, along with GPS to identify terrorists and wanted criminals. And, and what's what's the time frame here? What year is this? This is uh, this is U.S. Senator Richard Richards. He was convicted of defrauding banks out of twenty-two million dollars. When his probation is over, he'll receive two hundred fifty million left him by his father. His father was also a presidential advisor and worked out of the White House. Erickson, Posner, Richard Fear, Miwandi were sworn in as, get this, civilian police commissioners, issued badges and identification. <coughs> you right? Yeah. They also received free gas cards from Shell and Union 76, along with a visa card. Now, Miwandi, who always wanted to be a cop, he just went along for the ride. He bought into all of Erickson's lies and illusions. When asked about the camera monitoring system, he said, Mr. Erickson was planning to equip this camera system with facial recognition technology, something he's worked on before. Buses provide a unique cooperative host for facial recognition because sample faces can be limited to nearly one at a time as passages are scanned, as opposed to typical... Now, probably the real one, but... (laughs) For a while... The now defunct website, and I had seen this hysterical, bus, uh, it had a drug interdiction division, a detective division, a K9 unit, futuristic advanced anti terrorism technology, 
all imperative when transporting the elderly and disabled around town. And all completely fabricated. All completely, none of this existed. A uh, question for you, Mr. Burl Bear. Yes. When I joined uh, Lapida, the LAPD, yeah. I went through an LAPD background check. Yeah. Where they searched records, interviewed me, took my fingerprints, mm-hmm. talked to family, friends, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, a month in, um, I went through an FBI background check. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where they did similar things, but were a little more thorough because they talked to more people. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that Homeland Security talked to these guys and didn't vet them? No. You are correct. They well, didn't do a damn When I went to the LAPD my second day, I was given a map of downtown Los Angeles. And then there was a location and a number. The location would, you know, was circled on the map. And then there was a one, two, three, four, five, and that's the order, mm-hmm. along with where I picked up transportation, the local transportation. Right. I, I, there were seven places to go. Mm-hmm. Six of them took my fingerprints. Yep. Two of them interviewed me. Uh-huh. And the last one was to get my ID badge and a photograph. Photo. Right. That was my second day there. Yes. I'm flabbergasted that no effort was made by one of the major uh, governmental country security agencies didn't do a cursory check on these guys. Of course not. The fictional police department was issued an ORI number from the Department of Justice to operate as a police department. Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department gave them an LEA number so they could be be on their mutual aid radio frequency. With their new ORI number, they ordered traffic tickets. Prior to the multiple arrests and the scandal, they were ready to start raising money the old-fashioned way, the speed trap. you got to forgive me. I'm sorry. This is so outrageous. It's just completely... Uh, bizarre. Uh, b- completely bizarre. Carl Fair was arrested for impersonating a police officer when he flashed his badge while attempting to buy weapons at a gun shop. He also faced charges of perjury as police believe he signed a sworn document stating he was a police officer. Police searched Fair's home and his 100-foot yacht found 12 rifles and four handguns. Would you say a 100-foot yacht? Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, as a foreign national, Freer is not allowed to purchase guns in the U.S. With Freer and Erickson arrested, Erickson charged with embezzlement, drunk driving, owning illegal firearms, and grand theft, the Department of Homeland Security will not be handing them $500 million. So, so we're saying... There's, wait, there's more. Well, you're saying that, that at the point where he was driving that car on, one, on the PCH, yeah. if he had not crashed... Correct. They would, you know, they would have gotten away with it. Yes. So let's say that you know it was—is the grant all at once, or is it in pieces? Or well, let's see if we can find out. It's been a long time since I wrote this with Fred Wolfson, so find out. Go for it. Okay. However, others had already handed them three hundred million. 
A few months prior to Erickson's accident, private detective Fred Wolfson, who's an occasional guest here on the show, was when he lived here, he was here quite often, contacted an attorney regarding the patent of a new idea for advertising supported cellular phone service. At his own expense, Wolfson did a complete patent search and sought out the assistance of a noted corporate attorney. The attorney's name, Ashley Posner. Posner listened intently to Wolfson's presentation, then summarily dismissed the entire concept as foolish and not worthy of pursuit. Because he was involved. No, when Wolfson left the office, the attorney promptly formed a Delaware corporation to exploit Wolfson's plan. Wow. His clients raised $300 million in a public offering. The financing model used by this new company, experts note, was remarkably similar to that used by Gizmondo and was remarkably profitable, profitable for all except the investors. Carl Freer recently won a multi-million dollar lawsuit, more rich than ever. All names changed to avoid anything that can be avoided. Yes, this is a true story. And that's that's where we go with that. I, if he, uh, if he, if he had, you are correct, if he hadn't got drunk and blasted that Enzo at 162 miles per hour into a telephone pole, our beloved would have handed these guys $500 million grant. Um, our, our adorable, lovely government. Yeah. Um, when well, I was this growing 2005. up. 2005. Yeah. When I was growing up, in, you know, in the, uh, say, the late 60s, early 70s, as a child, I was over at my sister's house in uh, Tarzana because uh, I was a built-in babysitter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's the only kid. reason you were born. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my sister had, you know, little ones running around, and I would take care of them. And you know why she got those, don't you? Um, that's another story entirely. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And she had neighbors, and they neighbors came up with a bar of soap that didn't require water. Yeah. So uh, you've seen this uh, shampoo for your hair, and you... You don't spray need to take it on. a shower. You right. spray it on? Yeah, well, you, you rub it in and you wipe it off with a towel and your yeah, hair's clean. Yeah. So they were going to sell it to uh, NASA for space missions. That makes sense. So that they didn't have to use water to get clean. They could just use the bar of soap and soap yeah. off and dry off and they'd be clean. And they were go- they offered them the, uh, the each bar of soap for $6. And they're not going to make a lot of money off of the soap, uh, at least. But then they could use that NASA is using it as an advertising tool. Right. Used by our men on the moon. Right. So they took samples, tested them, said it works great. Um, but, you know, we're going to decline. And they were bummed. Oh, I can imagine. And a snotty Lois little kid who will not be uh, mentioned... Too late, you already mentioned it. <laughs> said, uh, well, shit, you didn't charge enough. <laughs> That's right. And they looked at me like I'm nuts, and I said, do you want to form a new company with a new name and charge them $125 a bar? And they just said, you know, Mark, go take care of the kids. Yeah. Two months for $150 
a, a bar. Yeah. And NASA said, yes, sir. you got to be kidding me. Nope. So they're rich now. It's a glycerin. It was a glycerin, uh, a bar of glycerin and other stuff. And yeah. Then it had, it was, it was agroscopic. Which means? That it, it drew water from the air. Well, that's a clever trick. And. Especially if you're in the desert. You know, it's, it's no different than those little white packets uh, that you get in a package that keeps the moisture from whatever it is. Right, right. Yeah. yeah same, t- same kind of concept. And yeah, so the the government wouldn't buy it for six dollars, but they would buy it for hundred and fifty. Wise economics. <laughs> so they must have made a lot of money. Um, they made some money. They did not get fabulously rich off of it because you know it's a huge market, and they they you know it was out in the stores for a number of years before just basically no one was buying it. Uh-huh. Um, but the. Uh, <clears throat> The speculation is is that if you're charging that much, it must be better. Right. That's why but I that's, charge that's, that's, so that's, much. That is a complete guess. Well, that's why I charge so much for my rare personal appearances. Ah. Well, the how, fact you know, that I um, come out of my room. I have uh, <laughs> I have to pay Burl uh, a soda and a chicken breast just to do the show. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not even coming out of my room. Um. I'm uh, I'm down at Parker Center, which has now been replaced. By what? Uh, they built a new uh, building for the police department downtown L.A. Oh, did they? Yeah. But I was in Parker Center, and I went into an interview room. Yeah. And uh, a uh, FBI agent came in to talk yeah. to me uh-huh. to do my, my interview. And he brings out a you know, a pad with stuff written on it. You know, and he talks to me for a little while and he talks about who he talked to and clarifies some information that was given to them. And then he starts with his list. He's asking, you know, basically yes or no questions, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, do you use drugs? Uh-huh. Uh, do, you fr- uh, do you abuse alcohol? Uh-huh. Um you know, do you on occasion frequent a house of ill repute? Oh yes. Questions, questions like that, yeah. and he's listing these things out. You know, when he gets to, are, are you involved in any illegal trade? And I go, well, what? You know, comic books? <laughs> he laughed. He's no. Uh, you know, uh, children, white slavery, drugs, and and I go, no. <laughs> he goes through this list about sixty things. And when he finishes, and I said, I, I got a question for you. And he goes, what? And I said, how long have you been doing this incredibly boring job? And he looked at me and he goes, eh, too long. And I said, has anyone ever answered yes? <laughs> what did he say to that? <coughs> I think he's still laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that. Has anyone basically, oh, yeah, I've been doing the, the uh, legal... Uh, you know, the child slavery uh, thing for years. Oh, yeah. I just yeah. Well, you know what's interesting about that is uh, in the forthcoming book that uh, Frank Gerardo and I have been working on for the past couple of years, finally going to be coming out real soon, as soon as he finishes the last little part of it, we went to a big mafia don. <laughs> oh, you've mentioned this. And, and asked him... <laughs> about this multi-million dollar scam 
that he and the Russian mob ran on the government. And he was perfectly happy to tell us all about it in detail. Right. Because statute of limitations was up. He couldn't do anything to it. It's on YouTube. You can, it's about the uh, gas uh, excise gas tax scam. Highly sophisticated white-collar scam done by the Russian mob to perfection. And they got the American mobsters involved with them. And uh, as this uh, one particular guy tells us, it was wonderful. We made a fortune. These were really great guys to work with. <laughs> I get a kick out of that. Well, remember, when people treat you like they don't care, believe them, they don't. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to realize. Well, uh, just call me Jimmy Crackhorn. And I don't care. Now, why does Jimmy Crackhorn and why don't you care? Uh, well, you know, it's triv- It's just, you know, meaningless, trivial dribble that you don't need to know about. Why do you care if he cracks corn? Yeah. I don't care. Huh. So you have uh, you have a book coming out with the aforementioned Frank C. Gerardo Jr. Yes, uh, about uh, an opportunity for bad guys to bump somebody off that they didn't want and pin it on some poor unsuspecting slob. That's right, uh, and then get points with the with the the government for turning in a murderer. Yeah, well, and uh, I don't want to give away too much because the way the book is plotted out. We don't reveal everything at the beginning. Otherwise, why read the damn book? Well, you know, you know me. I, I have loose lips. <laughs> and they sink ships. You know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Yeah, as well. Do you know where that saying came from? Just the way it is? No, loose lips sink ships. Well, from World War Two. No. World no, War One. No, 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 no. The Civil War. The, no, way Spanish before American way, War. way before that. The uh, Spanish had invaded the British harbor. And uh, at the break of dawn, a great sea battle in, you know, the the British harbor was going to take place. Yeah. But prior to that morning, a a large number of the Spanish uh, sailors came ashore going to the pubs. Got drunk and spilled And got drunk and essentially spilled the beans on the Spanish armadas strategy for the coming battle and the the those british individuals that heard what was going on and took notes went to the admiralty filled them in on the details the british formed a counterattack of what they were going to do and despite being overwhelmed by force sent the spanish home and that's where the saying comes from loose lips sink ships and there's a Spaniard in the works. Uh, whatever. John Lennon. <laughs> <clears throat> so that was an, 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 a very useless uh, bit of trivia. Yeah, well, no, it's useful to know that yeah. stuff. Uh, in any event, you're, yes, you're on the right track. Uh, what started off as a investigation into a murder. Uh-huh. A murder on Sierra Bonita in West Hollywood. A murder most foul. Yeah, and the guy was very dead, too. Which is an indication, usually, of death. Well, you know, uh, you know. Well, he wasn't quite dead. He's almost dead. Well, he was very dead. This guy. You know, just just talk to Miracle Max. He yeah. was almost dead. Yeah. That's a good movie. Did you know that Andre the Giant could not read English? Um, 
Laurie Downey Jr., uh, the producer of the show coming up, was good friends with him. Well, then, then she probably knew, knows his daughter. Huh. And I know the mother of the daughter. Aha. And uh, all about that. Uh, he, yeah, he was, uh, he was wonderful in that movie, uh, Princess Bride. Yep. He was very good. Nice fellow, too. Yet he couldn't dial the telephone, though. <laughs> well, his fingers are too huge. That's probably. right. His fingers are too big. Good. I mean, it kind of also. Yeah, well, all you have to do is take a pencil and you can do it. Well, yeah, but they asked people to read English to do that to the instructions. <laughs> so, so you have you have this case where they're search they're investigating a murder. Well, they didn't really do much investigating. They get a phone call. Cops get a phone call. There's a dead body in 921 Sierra Bonita in West Hollywood. The guy's dead. Uh, we'll tell you who did it and where to find him. Go to this motel room and you'll find the people who did it. Thank you, click. And it was all set up. All set up. And uh, we figured, okay, where is this investigation going to take us? Right? Because Frank and I are contacted by uh, Gypsy Kelly. It's Kelly Moskowitz. Who we've had on the show. And uh, Kelly lays out the story for us and says, will you investigate? Well, we wanted to write a good true crime book or an interesting case, so we talk, okay, we'll take a look into it, see what we come up with. We start looking into this case. And it took you down a rabbit hole that's oh my still God. going. It did. I mean, it involves the Russian mob. The Russian mob. Uh, the, uh, uh, was it the was FBI? It Richard, yeah, Richard Nixon. Was it the FBI uh, that were involved in this? Well, or well, the poli- or, or just the police department? Well, you get the FBI, the DEA, the police department. The White House. <laughs> I mean, it just kept going and going and going. The more we investigated, the crazier it got. Now, the individual that's incarcerated for this crime is still in prison. Yeah. Any uh, possibility that the material you've uncovered might assist him to get out? I think so. He may be paroled now anyway. He's up for parole. If we could get his name cleared, that would be nice. Well, if you get his name cleared, he's uh, got compensation coming. Mm-hmm. The uh, courts have ruled on uh, specific amounts already, so they don't have to go to court again. Oh, great. Is this guy just got freed of 30 years in prison? Yes. That must be nice. Right, so uh, besides that book, you have Stealing Manhattan. Mm-hmm. That's with uh, the publisher. Yeah, those are the other one. We haven't finished it yet. All my projects this year have publishers. Contracts have been signed. <laughs> so what's the third book? Oh, Twisted Twins. <laughs> well, that's right. You're talking about the uh, the siblings uh, that Killer commit. Siblings, yeah. They commit uh, murder. Yeah, I was contacted by. Our good friend Matthew Watts has been on the show a couple of times. He's a TV producer, and he did uh, uh, did Killer Siblings, and uh, all you know uh, those shows, all those true crime shows for Oxygen, and uh, also for Investigation Discovery. And I've been you know uh, on those shows, and we became friends, and uh, came to me with this case that was fascinating for uh, Killer Siblings about these twins. Did you know that most male twins have sex with each other? I I never heard that. And that's very common. It's kind of narcissistic because if you're identical twins, 
It's like having sex with yourself. <laughs> you know, um, I had two siblings, and, uh, you know, uh, that, that thought never entered my mind. Well, were they twins? Body. Are they twins? Identical twins? No, no, they're just siblings. And I'm going, I don't know. I have a lot of twins in the family. Yeah. Uh, but I've never heard anything like that. No. Well, it's not uncommon at all for identical twins to have sex with each other. Quite common. Normal, almost. And who can, usually one of the twins will be dominant, and the other one will be submissive. Uh-huh. And one will protect the other. Like, one may be the bad twin, but the good twin covers for him. He makes excuses for him. Gets him out of trouble. So, uh, in your, invest, in your uh, investigations of the cases that you have in the book, did you find those cases that to be true in those cases? Yes. Fascinating. Fascinating, Captain. Well, no. The main one I was investigating was the one that I called Twisted Twins, which is about these Twisted Twins who murdered their only really good friend because he had a collection of Magic the Gathering cards. That they wanted to steal. Yes, yeah. I saw that episode. They finally ran it. They didn't run it for a while. I believe I saw it. Because the father of the twins said he'd kill himself if we ran that episode. Oh. So they did, it was going to be the debut episode episode of the season just like I was on the debut episode of the season before which is about the Alaska Mail Bomb Conspiracy and then the next series I was going to be on the debut episode because I'm just such a crowd pleaser well you know <laughs> with this you, but twist. it's unfortunate that, that you don't cast a shadow uh, and you you know when you are a reflection in the mirror so whenever you appear <laughs> yeah. it's just a blank screen yeah that happens and an disembodied and voice. I can't enter a room unless I'm invited it's just Really horrifying. Yes, I know. Yes. Don't show up in mirrors. That's why I always cut myself shaving. <laughs> it's difficult being a vampire. <laughs> and social drawbacks. Which reminds me, whatever happened to him? The guitar player, the guy from the neck. Um, With the two great kids. Yes, uh, Prescott Niles. Yeah, he was like a vampire, an umpire. Well, he's a really nice, really nice guy. He really is. He's here on the show, but... There is a friend of Matt's and Rick D's uh, who did was a comedy writer. Mm-hmm. And oh, that he, Ned? What? What's his name? Ned, that guy? No, 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 no. Uh, PC. Oh, but PC, yeah. Yeah, just okay. don't. don't. Yeah. So he, he went out and bought the... Uh, he bought Prescott Niles' URL. Yeah. Registered it. And then the only thing on that website is... Uh, is a transfer to a vampire website. Oh, that's nice of him. Right, so if you clicked on Prescott Niles, it'd take you to a vampire website. Prescott was quite upset with this and tried to, you know, ask for the his name back. Yeah. And Pete said, well, pay me what I paid to register it. And 250 bucks, probably. But that just didn't work out, and so he doesn't come anymore. Well, you know what? I had that same thing It's more or less happened to me, except without PC. I was in the hospital, one of my many exciting adventures in staying alive, when my website, BurlBear.com, expired. And somebody bought it. No. Uh, one of these website places that sells it tried to sell it back to me for over $2,000. So I took it to the uh, dispute board or whatever that company. That right, they, yeah, yeah. And they said, no. I can't. Mr. Bear's name is his trademark and his copyright because he's an author. And you cannot have the website, BurlBear.com, Unless you are Burl Bear. Unless it's a fan site, which time I say BurlBearFansite.com, something like that. 
And so I said, oh, so I can have it then. And he said, yeah, for 250 bucks or whatever. They're still trying to sell it for 2000 I told them what the decision was. I and mean, they got the decision. Right. Was, no, you can't charge Mr. Bear $2,000 for his own name. He has it. It's his. You shouldn't take it away. Well, they did anyway. They didn't give a damn. Apparently no teeth in that organization, so that's why I'm BurlBear.net. How about that? Oh, that's just not good. Well, that's why I own own GorgeousShiksa.com. Uh, a uh, Yiddish for a non-Jewish crazy woman. Yeah. GorgeousShiksa.com. <laughs> and uh, you find the most popular porn sites like BlankBlankBlank.com and just get BlankBlankBlank.net. They're dirt cheap, and you got the exact same name of the biggest porn sites in America. Well, I I wouldn't know what those um, I bet you those, would. Uh, those websites are, Pearl. I I wouldn't know. Yeah, go look on your Amazon uh, Fire Stick, and you'll find them. <laughs> I don't have an Amazon Fire Stick. No, uh, they're not on. Uh, they're not on my Roku. <laughs> I'm disappointed to say, my friend got an Amazon Fire Stick, and they got porn aplenty. <laughs> I. <laughs> Not, not kids, I'm not suggesting that you get an Amazon Fire Stick just because you can get a lot of porn on there. But there, I know, uh, I, I saw a post um, as I was looking for uh, content for our producer. Yeah, he's about, sure about a uh, um, an adult website that has negotiated uh, its content on one of the streaming platforms, mainstream Ooh. platforms like Roku or. Well, wonderful for them. You know, or uh, Netflix or whatever it was. Well, that's good because you notice if uh, if you have a cable TV yeah. or direct TV, you can go to available, you know, pay-per-views on demand, and they got all that stuff on demand, you know?